Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I get discouraged when, um, when I talk to people uh, across the country, whether they're in urban or rural settings, and and I then hear about communities when they when we ask them like, you know, what is your most trusted news source, and they only have one. Mm. Right, um, and they're oftentimes when they think about when we ask about media, they they think automatically about television news, which again is it's just one, right? Like yeah, there's newspaper media, there's there's magazines, there's now podcasts, right? I mean, there's there's so many ways to increase the diet of your media and news consumption that to only stick to one is dangerous, especially <laughs> if especially if if that one is typically the Fox or the CNNs of the world, right? I mean, because they tend to broadcast um, these, I'm not even going to say talking heads because they're just yelling heads, <laughs> yelling at each other. And, and people forget that the person that is representing the other side of those debates are actually hired individuals by those organizations so that they could foster this debate constantly so it's just extremely frustrating that there's so much airtime devoted to um the yelling and talking heads that um that is absolutely more opinion than it is factual and evident evidence-based reporting how you did how you did today we're talking about journalism in a very very different way I learned about a concept called engaged journalism as I was talking to today's guest, Andrew DeVagal. And we also talked about the different ways that storytellers, facilitators, researchers, and designers can help use stories and technologies to empower audience and also foster community. In today's time where we live in a world that has troll farms, that has cultures facilitated for debates, it's very important to understand how to obtain information, verify that, make sure it's inclusive of the community, and also one that powers humanity. And so we dive into what exactly that looks like in today's world. Andrew is an Emmy Award winning innovative strategist, and he builds bridges by connecting ideas and people to producing meaningful and interactive stories. This is one you don't want to miss. He lays out a lot of actionable tips that you can apply right now so that you can be a better custodian of society. Information is so important in today's world, and a campaign of disinformation is very, very dangerous. Now, the last promo for the Masterclass is today. I am hosting a Masterclass on making 2019 the year of your voice, where I'll be covering different ways to build a career and a platform based on your voice. So understanding how to use your voice to be a better public speaker, to use that to be a consultant, a coach, and things like that. Everything will be covered 
in the masterclass. There's an online version for those who can't make it to New York City. The tickets have been selling uh, pretty fast. I've already, I already got the room filled out. But if you happen to be in New York City and you want to attend, let me know. And if you can't be there, there's an online version. And I'd love to be able to reach out to you that way as well. All right? Now go forth and be great. Listen to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Andrew DeVigal. He is the co-director of the Master's in Multimedia Journalism Program at the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. He's also the associate director of the Agora Journalism Center at UO's Gathering Place for Innovation in Communication and Civic Engagement. If you're noticing a theme here, it's because we're going to be talking about information and journalism. But before coming to Oregon six years ago, he was the multimedia director at the New York Times, where he helped guide the newspaper's print-driven format into the multimedia era and integrated new approaches to interactive storytelling into the Times' long tradition of journalistic excellence to help shape the industry that we use today. Welcome to the show, sir. Excellent. Thank you so much for the invitation in this conversation, Taylor. Looking forward to it. Hey, look, we're already rhyming. Invitation, conversation. I'm loving this. This is this is. It's almost like you're a writer. But <laughs> in the flow. There we go. <laughs> uh, but I am fascinated by by uh, people's background. So can, can you tell us how you got into the field initially? So yeah, sure. Happy to do that. I uh, I, I was actually. It's interesting because I I. Um, I studied information systems. So when I was a when I was in my youth, youth, uh, I thought I was to be a programmer. And uh, but at the same time, because to try to work myself through school, I worked at a newspaper. And little did I know that once I graduated and became a programmer, I hated programming. <laughs> <laughs> I often tell the story about how I cry to work. I'm like, God, what did I do? I'm, I mean, I think back in those days, you got to imagine that programming back in those days was like Dilbert, right? Yeah. It was. It wasn't like developers, the cool developing world right now in Silicon Valley and yeah. all that, right? It was all collaborative. Everybody works on Slack. <laughs> you know, back in those days, it was like working in cubicles, looking at code. Lunchtime, your head pops up like lunch, and then you, you know, it, it was not what I was originally drawn to, and why I loved about journalism and working in a newsroom, even when I was in college, was the collaborative nature of news and news production. And I, I really like that, right? I, I loved working with uh, reporters and writers and editors and, you know, uh, multimedia folks, photographers, designers. I mean, that's, it's, it's to be able to produce journalism in, in, in the, in the traditional way required a team. It required a team at the top of their game. Right. And, and that's one of the reasons what, what draws me into this industry and, and what really speaks to me is this collaborative nature of telling the stories of the community. And that's what even makes me more excited around this notion of engaged journalism is we authentically want to include the public and our communities into the process of journalism. And in that way, it's collaborative because we can't tell the story of the community without them. Mm. Right. And that's, and that's the notion. That's, that's one of the things that I think has been evolving and emerging around journalism of the past to journalism of the future is that in our inner, in our radically connected world, journalism has to be connected and has to include the knowledge and the insights and the experience of the public to help tell the story of the public. That's interesting. So when you, when you I have so many questions, so you, you talk about engaged, engaged journalism, um, 
what, what exactly do you mean by that? Was it you that came up with that term? Oh, no, no. I think, I think in some ways, um, uh, not, I, I can't say I, I, I came up with the term, but definitely I helped, su- have su- helped support the community of engaged journalism. And, and it is something to, um, some people might disagree with it, right? Honestly. Uh, some people have argued that engaged journalism is just good journalism. And I would agree to that at a certain point. I think, I think in good, engaged journalism is good journalism because if you can authentically include the public in the process of journalism, that's fantastic journalism. That is good journalism. Right. But I don't think we, we, I don't think we traditionally do that on a natural way, especially in our very cash strapped, resource strapped industry. You know, journalists nowadays, they need to like punch out three to five stories in one day and tweet at the same time and write a Facebook post to complement their stories and engage with the public in that way in a very transactional social media way. You know, if you're under that strict uh, of a deadline, you oftentimes are then just forced to like write your story, call up a source, uh, have them say something that can fill the gap in your story and then you publish, right? There's, huh. there's not a built-in relationship that you would have with your community so that you better understand your community. I think, I think in the old days, there was that notion. It was called beat journalism, right? It's somebody who under, who covered this particular neighborhood or, or covered this particular community. Now beat journalism is really thinking about like, what is my source in the, in the police chief, right? Or what's, I have a police beat or I have a, um, I have a city hall beat, but good long gone are the days of, I have a Northeast Portland beat, right? My community is Northeast Portland and, and that, and I have a connection with that community. So this notion of engaged journalism, I think is, is trying to flip the script of that in that we really want to start with community first, ask them what their needs are, ask them what information gaps that they have, ask them what they're curious about, mm-hmm. ask them what questions they might have that we as journalists can then pursue. Right. Yeah. So to me, that is engaged journalism. And some people might, you know, they, there's other labels, if you will, for right. that. Right. Some people call it social journalism. Some people might call it public journalism. But it is this really intentionality of connecting with your journal, with your public in a relational way as opposed to a transactional way. That's fascinating to me because you say relational versus transactional. And you also talked about the fact that the, the way the media landscape has changed, you said they're, they're cash trapped, you know, people, especially journalists who are custodians of, of society in many ways, uh, and people that have been seen to hold the government and public to, to, you know, to accountable. You're saying that they are under a unique set of pressures to make, to make the publishers money. Is that what I'm hearing? Or what is the system like? I, I guess I'm trying to get more clarity yeah. around that. Sure. I mean, so, you know, uh, historically, right, in the last couple of decades, the, our industry has been in, in dire, dire financial challenge because, mm. you know, some people might say it was Craigslist that destroyed advertisement or declassified that help, has helped support journalism in, in the last few decades, right? And because of our radically connected world, like, you know, opportunities and, and platforms like Craigslist and other, and it's not just Craig, you know, uh, it's not just Craigslist that was the, the problem there. It was just our lack of ability to envision a world where we could really put some dollar value to the work of journalism um, and we made it for free, right? So um, it's layered, right? Uh, it's layered because of the fact that anybody can now produce content, anybody can, you know, and, and distribute content and reach many people. 
I think what people don't, um, so because of that, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not enjoying, the industry is not enjoying the heydays of the 1970s and 80s where people were like, you know, popping champagnes and enjoying a, a really strong income and able to, you know, pay for journalists at a high level. Yeah. And then, and there, there, believe it or not, there were days like that, right? There were, there were opportunities that people could make money, whether it's through advertising, classified, um, or even subscription based. Now, I think the need, because of that, I think the need to, um, have a sustainable model for journalism requires a blend of all of those incomes, whether it's, whether it is subscription, whether it is membership, right? Um, public media has really has been thriving on membership models for a long time. It's, um, wow. and, and advertising classified. So yeah, we're, we're financially, we need to reimagine what that might look like. And a big part of the challenge I think the industry is facing is, they're, they're trying to fix journalism from the inside out. They're trying to fix it to try to get it back to where we were. And that's been long gone. I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think we're going to go back to the days where, you know, people are going to be, you know, the classified models, the advertising models is going to come back. Yeah. What we need to reimagine is how do we get more people involved in the process of journalism so that there is an abundance, there is a trust level, there is. So it, once you build structures to be able to support that, I think, you know, people will start recognizing that good journalism is expensive and perhaps are willing to pay for it in one form or another. It's not necessarily just transaction. <laughs> so it's interesting because I, I was listening to a, um, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Asam Minaj. He's got a show on Netflix called Patriot Act. Patriot right? Act. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So his last, oh, episode, yeah. his last episode was on Free Press and he was talking about how publishers are confused for platforms and, pl and vice versa. And he said tech companies are getting all the benefits of a platform and none of the risks of a publisher. And in that type of environment, I can see how the pressure would be for, say, I don't know, New York Times, Washington Post would be to say, I got to compete with Facebook or I got to compete with Twitter. I got to compete with YouTube and all these people that are creating their platforms and have all these following and you're taking eyeballs away from me. So how can you compete on that? And what gets lost in that is the truth, <laughs> right? It's, it's integrity. It's quote unquote fake news and then all this th things happen and and then you brought up the money dynamic right this is obviously a cost of living this is uh, you know if you're not good if someone else is better doing that then you're like well should i do that and then the idea of being what you've known as journalism before the beat style is not seen as sexy and it's too slow and it's not rapid enough uh but it, it, it then creates the cycle of that but then what i get concerned about is how do we then train users, people like me, to have a better attitude to obtain information, to verify, to be engaged. How can we make media literacy <laughs> a must at a, such a young age <laughs> so that we right. don't get into this, this cycle of just sending things to boost our eco chambers? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think that's, that's part of the challenge is this, this need and appreciation to um, – to expect the public to gain uh, a sense of media literacy, and I, and I, and that's to me, I'm a little uncomfortable saying that because, mm. I, I, as a journalist or as an editor, I, I feel uncomfortable saying you need to do this. Mm. It's like you know, we need to show and demonstrate that there is that need. We can't push it for towards them. Mm. I think it. I think. I think the, the, this notion of media literacy is one, one angle and one side to that. But if it's a really reciprocal relationship that we're trying to build, 
we also have a, a as a role as a journalist to be more community literate, right? How do we better understand the community so that we can understand and appreciate what their needs are so that we can help serve them, right? So I think it's it, that's why I so much emphasize the importance of relational engagement rather than transactional engagement because once once you start building a, a relationship with our community, I think there is this tendency to then have a much more uh, journalism that is much more abundant, that okay. is much more trusted, right? So to, to, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship that we need to build. And, I, and absolutely, the, the, the awareness that journalism is both expensive, time-consuming, and relational has to be conveyed, conveyed to, um, to the public. And, and there's multiple layers to do that, right? There's, there's, there's a sense of transparency. I, f- I feel like the public doesn't understand the, the process of journalism. Mm. So how can we as, a, as journalists be more transparent in the work that we do, right? So a, a good example of, of steps towards that is for Washington Post, for example, has been very intentional about labeling their story on social media. So when you look at Washington Post stories, you, say, you see right in front of the headline, opinion or you see analysis or you see you know you know uh, news right so that there's a there's a strong distinction for the media or for the public to understand oh this is this is not really fact-based um opinion right it's there's there's an it's an opinion of one individual that works for the washington post but it's not a full analysis that you would normally see in within the news section, so that, that that's that's one benefit when we, when when the newspaper was in sections, right, in print edition, right. You could pull out a one, and that's all news. You you pull out the other guts. You see sports. You see you see the movie section, or you see the opinion section. And when you pull out the opinion section, people will know that this is an opinion. It, it, this is an opinion of a perspective, of, of of a particular issue or an angle, right. But you don't see that when you're looking at all your stories in a Facebook stream or your Twitter stream. All you see are headlines. And so, uh, so that's one form of transparency. Another tra- form of transparency is how do you illustrate the, the hard work and the fact checking and the editing that happens during the process of journalism? How can we open up our, our reporter's notebook to the public so we can see that? And that, that would then create a distinction of the really evidence based journalism that you see in, in, um, in, 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 in the media as opposed to the, laissez-faire or lazier style of opinion websites that you often see on the other side, right? And, and if you're looking at a, at a, at a stream of information and all of that's meshed together, of course there's going to be mass confusion and chaos, mm. um, the public side because there's just not distinction be- between that. So transparency is such a, is such a, um, an, an important, um, op- uh, perspective yeah. in how we distribute news. Yeah, and it seems to me also there needs to be a recognition from public government systems, for example. Maybe if they have to fund some of this, because you, what you explained to me, I didn't, I didn't even know that until you told me. It does cost. I can see how the cost can rise up. And so if publishers are worried about putting the light bulbs on, and if that is a little bit alleviated in like part of the budgets, that could help, you know, because I, 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 I don't know what, is it PBS or does a, that gets funding from the public? There's a yeah, oh, yeah. sure and yeah. yeah NPR NPR right? yeah I mean, all, all those type of things NPR um, POV you know PBS um, yeah. those are all like um, they're all public media so, yeah. so uh, funding parts of it is through the government 
Yeah. So if, if something like that happens, then, you know, because there's a reason why I guess those publications can just do, I'm going to do the investigative narrative type of journalism. And then other people will say, well, I can't do that. <laughs> right? um, so maybe, okay. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Huh. I have, I have a couple more questions then on us, us as the people that aren't part of the media. How can we become more engaged? One. And then, what are the best ways in your you've been you know tightened in the industry? So what are the what's your process for research and verifying? Because I want the audience to listen to say, hey, you know, Andrew does this, I can do this myself. So how sure. can we become more engaged? Well, I mean, there, there's there's let me let me step back a little bit. When we talk about um, engagement and we're talking about relational and transactional engagement. To me, there's, I, I, tr- I try to visualize this in a post that I wrote called Continuum, Continuum of Engagement. Mm. And the, the bottom half of that is really focused on transactional. And I, and I think that there's value in that, right? So the, the three activities that I would uh, classify as transactional is to learn, right? Just, just a need to learn about the world around you. And I, you, you've spoken about this quite a bit um, when you talk about the art of diplomacy, right? There's a willingness to learn. Um, you can read an article. You can listen to a podcast. Those are all things that you can do. That's that's, in some ways, engagement. You you your willingness to learn. The other one is to follow, right? I mean, we've done that, right? Follow Facebook, Twitter feeds, whatever. It subscribes, or you can subscribe to a news newsletter or a social news feed. Um, and then there's the other level of engagement, which is endorse by membership. You can share a story on social media that you that you really believe is as evidence based. All of those are levels of engagement. I, I put them in, in, in one category because I identify them as transactional, right? That it's, that there, there's some information that you're giving to a publisher that they're giving back to you, um, in a transactional way at, in a form of stories, right? Or information or data. So, but those aren't transactional and they're not necessarily building relationship, which I'd love to try to focus on next, which is three other activities that would form under under uh, under relational engagement the first one is participate whether it's participating in your own local government or participating in your own local community but i think it is participating in your local information ecosystem and that's how i define it right whether it's we call it news but it's really about a healthy information ecosystem can i trust data and stories and information that helps describe the world around me especially in my local environment and can i participate in that process Right. Can I submit a question to an entity, whether it's a news organization or a government that can get answered by professionals who are either reporters and journalists or they're working to because they're um, they're uh, statisticians or, or people who know that content. Right. That's a way to submit the question. That's how you participate in your in your um, government or you can attend a community gathering. Right. Um, what I love about, um, you know, there are certain cities, of course, that always hold these city hall, town hall meetings, get the feedback of their community. And that's one way to participate, right? Hopefully they're doing authentically rather than just checking a box saying, hey, I did go community engagement on this project. Boom, done. But hopefully there's an authentic way to do that. Newsrooms tend to try to do this as well. And I love newsrooms that are authentically engaging with their public. While, you know, examples of that could be, holding their page one um, or their news uh, story uh, development list with the public. They, they might have it, have it at a diner or a coffee shop, and they invite the public to come in and to actually have a dialogue and 
in the, in the deliberation around what should we cover this week or what should what should be our our main three stories this month that we should we should tackle right mm-hmm. so find opportunities with your local government with your local um, uh, communities to see if a government's doing that or better yet if the media organizations that represent you is supposed to cover you is also willing to do that so that that would be the first activity around relational engagement and then there's all opportunities to collaborate there's a, there's some interesting projects right now there's you know in terms of news organizations collaborating with each other I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ProPublica um, does this very well in terms of collaborating with Frontline or other news organizations to collaborate on a specific um, investigative series. Um, that's been great. And then how can we then, for the public, participate and collaborate on, um, no, not participate, but collaborate on the process of, journal, of, of producing journalism. So uh, there's a, uh, a framework and a model um, within the space of engaged journalism that I really admire. Um, there's a woman by the name of Jennifer Brandau um, uh, who co-founded or who founded a company called Harkin. And part of the process that she uses within, her, within this company is a framework that includes people to submit questions vote on the questions that people have asked so that that becomes more of an assignment. But more importantly, they also give opportunities where the person who asked the question can then accompany the reporter to actually report on that story, right? That's a beautiful model. Not not extremely or easily scalable. Right, but can right. you imagine that the person that asking that question can then go with a reporter and a journalist to, to uh, answer that question? Because A, that person from the public, that community member, might actually have access to the community that the reporter doesn't have, right? Yeah. So that's that builds that relationship, um, that relational engagement, but also that helps inform the citizen or the public, uh, uh, the community member, to actually observe and experience the process of producing journalism. So this idea of collaborating and accompanying a reporter to come to it or even contributing to a new story is a is a is a beautiful model of 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 relational engagement and something that the public can can really participate in. And then this third um, relational uh, activity that I would emphasize, or at least the sixth one in this sort of continuum of engagement, is actually leading. Right? How can the public actually lead to support a healthy information ecosystem in their local community? So one way to do that is to join a news organization's community advisory board. Or if that doesn't exist, 
encourage your local newspaper or television station to create a community advisory board so that they have the feedback and there's the relation, built-in relationship to be able to help tell news organizations to tell the story with them rather than just for them. Or a whole different level is form a local news cooperative, right? If, if you feel like your local news um, uh, ecosystem isn't healthy, form a new one. You know, connect, connect with trusted models and trusted individuals or representatives of your community and form a local news, uh, local news cooperative. And there are some examples of that on the, um, that, uh, that I can share with you and maybe perhaps you can share that within your show notes. Absolutely. And, and this actually segues into what I want to ask you next. Is, is this what you do with Laura, uh, Low 40 with, uh, or fourth act? It sounds like you've got a collective of, it's interdisciplinary, right? So it's storytellers, facilitators, researchers, designers, technologists, like all of them using story and technology to empower audiences and agents to change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking about a fourth act, um, and, uh, my, and Laura, La, Laura Laforte. Um, that actually is a little bit separate. Um, so all of the, my work I'm doing on engaged journalism is really with the Agora Journalism Center ah, gotcha. at the University of Oregon. And a fourth act is actually a, a collective and a company that I started with Laura, who is my, both my life and business partner. And, uh, and, uh, what, she, like me, we're both recovering journalists, if you will. He's a recovering journalist. <laughs> so before I, uh, again, before I joined the University of Oregon, I was uh, with the New York Times. So we, we were both recovering journalists. And, and she's much more in the mindset of participatory journalism. So she's, if she was here, I would try to project her. And she often says that as a journalist, she was always comfortable trying to, um, uh, as a journalist, she was always comfortable, uncomfortable trying to tell the story of someone else. Why not just empower them for them to tell their own story? Mm. Right. And, uh, and that's why, you know, I love it when she describes herself as a story midwife, because her job as a storyteller, as a community storyteller mm -hmm. is to help individuals tell their own story. Right. So with me, with, with her perspective and my perspe perspective in the traditional forms of media, you know, we ended up forming a fourth act because, and we ended up naming it a fourth act because we felt like for most media producers, whether you're a documentary film per, um, producer or a, a book writer or even a journalist, you often think about including the, the public at the tail end of your storytelling process, right? You, you know, if you're a documentary filmmaker, a lot of them come to like, I'm going to produce this documentary. And then when I'm finally ready to get it out in the world, I'm going to hire an impact producer so that I can then identify the community that would then appreciate it. And I'm like, well, maybe you should have identified the community before you produce this the documentary so that they can they, they become participatory and, 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 and they can participate in the process of it so that the fourth act of including the community is actually holistic to the process of telling that story. So we don't, we don't want an uh, an, an epilogue, right? We want a fourth act. Mm -hmm. We want the community to be part of the full of the whole story. I love that. I love that, and I love what you're doing with uh, Laura and, and you because it's it's really you talk about uh, engaged journalism and participatory participatory journalism that is necessary for our world today. And and I think the through line between these two things is the fact that you're encouraging people to tell authentic stories, mm -hmm. right? And um, one of the Interesting things I've noticed as well, and I would love to get your opinion on this, is 
I've also seen this is moving away from what we're talking about. I've also seen how media, whether it's with the publishers or with platforms, have either caused for negative things to happen or positive things to happen. So we can talk about genocide in Myanmar, or we can talk about the Arab Springs, or we can talk about the elections. What what do you as 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 a recovering journalist? What do you think when you see all these things when people also sprinkle wait what's freedom of speech and what's all this how do you do you get worried <laughs> or do you yeah. get empowered or do you do you get inspired there's so many ways media has been used to do good or bad things i'm just curious to hear your thoughts yeah no no it's a good question i um i i i'm much more drawn to journalism and stories that help build community rather than divide community mm. right and there and there's so many other there's you know, that's why there are some people who don't trust the media because they feel like it's just gotcha media, right? I mean, there's there's a there's a true purpose for investigative journalism, right? To to be able to um, uh, to question those in power, to really kind of shed light into injustices. So, uh, I want to first start by saying that I think investigative journalism is a critical component to our democracy, and I think it needs to exist um, here on out, right? I mean, there's no there's no question about that. But the flip side to that is the fact that we need to really more to think about how do we engage with the public so that we really do support a public to be together, to, to, to support a, the, the, to support communities so that they can thrive. And the more we, we do stories that divide them, we're not supporting them to thrive. So, so I, I envision a newsroom where it's a little bit of both, right? It's investigative journalism, one end of the newsroom, and then you have community journalism or engaged journalism on the other. And one aspect to, um, to this idea and this notion of building communities to help tell stories so that it's, it's much more positive, if you will, um, uh, which is, I think, and a, a, a key component to uh, to a shift in media that we need to consider is that it's not just, it's not just, you know, destruction, right? We really need to think about organizations and individuals who are doing positive things in our community so that we can imagine possible, the possibilities of the future of our community, right? Um, there's a, there's a, there's a movement right now or there's a group called Solutions Journalism. And what they're really kind of identifying are journalists and stories that are are doing just what I described, right? What are the things that are, what are the positive aspects of things that's happening in our community and how can others learn from them so that perhaps they can take a play in the playbook to kind of replicate it in their own environment, yeah. Uh, yeah. right? Or is there a way to tweak it? Or maybe there's a way to support um, an individual and organization that is doing good work within the community to help build it. That... You, you are giving me so many ideas. This is so, this is so good. Investigative journalism and engaged journalism in the same book. Because the reason why I brought that up, another reason is because sometimes I, I come across people, I come from a culture, I'm Nigerian, but I, my parents always like made me watch the news. But I also have started to see how some people don't want to watch the news. They're like, it's all depressing. It's all that. Um, and I don't necessarily see it that way because I like to be informed, but I can understand why people probably don't want to start the day here and, you know, a lot of bad news. So your balance of, Engage versus, uh, um, you know, investigative is, 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 I, th- I think it's critical it's somewhere we need to go to. Um, and I hope someone really funds a budget for all the stuff you're doing because I, that I can see how that would shift a lot of, um, what's happening. Uh, because there is a lot of eroded trust and, and, and I've just noticed that. And I, 
you know, and it's from the public and it's also from the government. And this current administration is not shy about what he feels about, 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 you know, journalism or whatever. So that fuels the narrative that, yeah. you know, journalism is just there for, like you said earlier, transactional purposes or, um, I guess to suit their faction, which leads me yeah. to this question that I have. I, as an outsider, someone who's not American, I am increasingly, tr- I guess, figuring out that there is such a thing as partisan journalism. I've noticed it as an outside observer. You know, if you've got Fox News for, you know, conservatives, you've got MSNBC, I guess CNN, I don't know where, wherever you put them, they could be more left leaning. Some people will mm. say the central or whatever, but you, I can know that on any given night, if I flip through these three channels, I'm going to get a certain narrative. What What do you feel about that? Because does that now, how do journalists play a role in that? You know, what, yeah. what is the truth? Because then I have, I have an idea of the truth, but what then becomes the truth? And how do you get people, the public, to start, start seeing beyond biases and say, well, I can see the truth behind the journalism and it's not just to suit a certain base? Yeah, yeah. Now, and, and that's, and that's, um, again, I, 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 I tend not to try to make it a habit to, um, uh, demean my colleagues in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the worst thing they want to do, but I, I get discouraged when, um, when I talk to people, uh, across the country, whether they're in urban or rural settings and, and I didn't hear about communities when they say, when we ask them, like, you know, what is your most trusted news source? And they only have one, mm. right? Um, and they're oftentimes, when they think about, when we ask about media, they, they think automatically about television news, which again, is, it's just one, right? Like yeah, there's newspaper media, there's, there's magazines, there's now podcasts, right? I mean, there's, there's so many ways to increase the diet of your media and news consumption that, to only stick to one is dangerous, especially <laughs> if, especially if, if that one is typically the Fox or the CNNs of the world, right? I mean, because they tend to broadcast, um, these, I'm not even going to say talking heads because they're just yelling heads, <laughs> yelling at each other. And, and people forget that the person that is representing the other side of those debates are actually hired individuals by those organizations so that they could foster this debate constantly. So it's just extremely frustrating that there's so much airtime devoted to um, the yelling and talking heads that um, that is absolutely more opinion than it is factual and evidence-based reporting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just the other day, right? You, you have somebody on Fox News, then, you know, they... they they're responding to the climate change report that the administration came out. And then this pundit comes out saying, well, I'm not a scientist, but I'm like, no, 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 you should just stop saying, stop, stop talking. Once you say I'm not a scientist, right? Because you are at that point, not offering any facts or evidence. Yeah. Let's just, let's just get you off the stage kindly. And let's talk about real, real facts and real evidence. That's, that's what we need. That's so. The more we allow um, uh, these yell fests to 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 foster into our dialogue, the more harmful it is to our culture and society. So, 
you know, I, I, I just hope that there is a day where, um, that's just not as appreciated. And that, and that, and that's the problem, right? I mean, Fox and CNN probably do that because people are consuming it and people want that. And people love to be right because they're now divided. And that's, and that's the whole thing that we started off with this component of our conversation is that I, I'm much more drawn to journalism that is uniting us as a community rather than dividing us. And these yelling uh, pundits are dividing us as a, as a society. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I love what, everything you have to say because it is tough because I mean, I'm, look, I'm a very progressive leaning person. Um, but I do also, <laughs> I, I, I have the same frustrations you have because I, I look at the news and I'm like, if this is a very, very, I can see how someone that doesn't think the way I think will be turned off by this. And I can see the same thing vice versa. And I'm like, we are missing out on an opportunity to inform. But then you also brought up the point about people are consuming that because what happens during these cycles, because we are in a very divisive time, is there becomes a sharing cycle. Oh, look at what this person said. No, well, check out what this person said. And it's like, this is my personality versus your personality. And then I'm like, we have to train ourselves better. We can't, how do we know what they're saying is the truth? Because we can't always have two different opinions about, um, something that is factual <laughs> and, and, and that's a, that's why it becomes too dangerous for me like if we're arguing about things that have been validated by facts and um someone is very convincing and has managed to convince you to say maybe it's a different way then it's it, it's it's yeah it becomes dangerous like i look, yeah. i know that the world is round for example but if you have like let's talk about the flat earth i, I have no problem with anyone that's a flat earther i get it but that narrative can exist, for example, where you have all these things, and I'm mm-hmm. like, but we know that it's not flat. How is this a discussion? <laughs> and how are we having two people argue? That stuff bothers me so much. I'm just trying to calm down because people will think that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and, and that's and it, in, in 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 a society not only radically connected, right? But we're always we're also in the society that the expectation is that we're always on, right? So that there is no more time for reflection and analysis, and uh, we always feel like what's happening now is what's most important. And that's also a danger. Like we need to slow down as a culture. We need to slow down as news consumers, so that there's far more time for reflection and analysis. And I I would I would love a day when. You know, I doubt if this will ever happen, especially in the next presidential election. But wouldn't it be awesome if these presidential debates that we have in the upcoming election in 2020 was actually time delayed by 24 hours so that there's actually facts and information that's overlaid during the debate so that people can hear them. But we can also see the actual facts that's against their statements. Yeah, um, I doubt if that will happen, but. God, we need that. <laughs> that no, that's that's such a good point, and and the reason why I love having you on because you're you're actually helping me out with the way I'm thinking because you're very measured in your in how you look at this this information and to hear you talk about um, how you don't like people only using one source as they're trusted or you don't like people re- trying to get into the point where the loudest person in the room wins. Um, that reminds you know people like us who are not in media to say, hey, it's not about the loudest person. Um, try and always verify your information <laughs> um, and, and check more. And, and uh, you know, th- these are crucial habits to have. What, what else do you, I mean, I know we're getting ready to close there, but what else 
uh, are you up to in terms of the journalism world? Because you, you do so many other things, uh, you know, for the state, what you do with, with the universities. What else are you trying to build? Well, um, so when we go back to this engaged journalism, so we ended up building in the last year is actually a platform um, for pe people working in engaged journalism. And because uh, we often find that, you know, to me, engaged journalism is sort of like multimedia of 10 years ago when multimedia journalists um, are often were isolated in newsrooms because, you know, the, the photographer that knew how to press play in a recorder was like, oh, you're now the multimedia journalist, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, they were often isolated. Uh, so that's what happened 10 years ago in, in, in newsrooms. And I think that's what's happening in newsrooms today in terms of engaged journalism is these uh, these journalists who have perhaps more empathy than others to be able to connect with their communities are often isolated in their newsrooms, right? And again, it's a newsroom that's often very small or at least shrinking because of economic factors. Um, so what we ended up wanting to do was support this community of practice of engaged journalism so that they can connect with each other. They can find each other. They can find resources that, um, uh, that they can look to, to perhaps replicate in their own local environment. Um, so we ended up building this and it's called Gather, um, for, uh, for again, for journalists who really authentically want to connect with their, with their communities and value their perspectives as a way to help produce stories within the, within the, the local news okay. ecosystem. Okay. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. This is, this has been an, an education of many sorts. So, um, I, I always ask my guests this question before we, we go off and it's my mission statement. Uh, use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Andrew, use your difference to make a difference? It's huh. a really good question. Um, and I like that because it's, it's, where we, I feel like we're, we need to be, right? Is yeah. how do we find the difference and how do we make the difference in our community? I, uh, for folks who may not know, since this is a podcast, I am a person of color. And, um, I think, I think what I, how I use my difference is, uh, you know, despite or maybe because of a person of a color, I, I find myself that, um, I find myself in a very fortunate and privileged position oftentimes. Uh, to be in a room, um, I feel like I need to leverage that privilege and fortune position uh -huh. to actually ensure that the people in the room, especially since oftentimes I am only the only person of color, right. is that I need to push the importance of diversity, of not just racial diversity, but diversity of perspectives in that conversation. Whether it's you know, planning for a, a panel on a, on a, on a gathering or whether it's, you know, trying to bring in voices into my classroom. I want to make sure that the voices is diverse, mm. uh, both, both racially and gender and experience, right? How do we bring more diversity, more perspectives into our conversations? And I'd like to use my position of privilege to be able to make sure that that happens and to make that difference. Love that. Love that. Yeah. You're, you're using um, your privilege to invite more stories and to, to tell more stories and get more people uh, visibility, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, so where can we find you? Well, uh, on the web. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry I'll, I'll put it i'll put the on the web there but okay but okay what what is your so i know you, obviously you, you're you know like you're obviously like i said a, a titan industry that many people that that uh 
always say, hey, can you serve on the board? Can you do that? But if you want someone to reach out to you, or is there a website that they can go to that is your hub, your digital hub? That's funny. Um, uh, I no longer do. I find myself mostly on Twitter or Facebook as okay. a way for people to connect me. So on Twitter, I'm Drew Vigal, D-R-E-W-V-I-G-A-L. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, it's a good spot for me to, to connect with. I'm also on Slack. Um, and email is also a place where I can easily respond to folks. So gotcha. give me oh. email, drop me a line. Send him those tweets, people. Send him those tweets. Who, who, <laughs> who put that in the show notes? But um, I've got to thank you for coming. Uh, this has been ah, such a great episode. Thank you so much for educating us. I'm really, really, really grateful for you taking the time. I appreciate your time, Teo, and I appreciate your work, man. Keep doing up the positive work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, I'm just following your footsteps, sir. Following your footsteps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, your path. I admire your Yes. Well right. said. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.